We're in a series just simply called Jesus Said Blessed. In Matthew chapter 5, we have the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus begins with what we call the Beatitudes. There are eight different types of people that Jesus lists out there, and he says that these people are blessed. We want to be one of those that Jesus calls blessed, amen? Amen. Well, that may sound a little strange when you see the next verse that we're going to look at here this morning is Matthew 5, 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn. That's an apparent contradiction, especially if you reduce the word blessed and mourn down to happy and sad as some modern paraphrases and some people like to do today, well then you would just read it as blessed are those who are sad, they will be happy. I want you to know that Jesus is talking about something much more than that. You know, there's this great contrast in all of the Beatitudes. None of them are people that you would normally just think of as blessed. These are kingdom principles. But I can, I can tell you this, I can assure you of this, that if Jesus says this person is blessed, they're blessed. Amen. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. See, sometimes we tend to pull a scripture or a verse, a phrase out of context, and we try to apply it to every situation and every circumstance and every person, and that doesn't always work. We have to understand that each verse, each scripture has to be interpreted in light of the rest of the Bible. The Bible never contradicts itself. Sometimes people think that it does, but it's only because they haven't learned enough. They don't understand enough. And so whatever truth we receive from the Bible, it can work together with all the rest of the truth of the Bible. And, you know, one of the things that will help us in Understanding this verse is, well, understanding what it's not. First, we need to understand that Jesus is not saying that everyone who cries is going to be comforted. I can assure you, there are a lot of unbelievers who reject the Lord and want no part of Him, and they have cried many bitter tears and never been comforted. No, this is for the children of the kingdom. Blessed are those who mourn, they shall be comforted. Second, Jesus is not telling us that it's a good thing to be sad. I mean, let's just all, you know, watch some sad movies and all cry and, you know, we'll just all get blessed because we're sad. No, that's not what he's talking about. Enough of that kind of religion where, you know, wear a long face and, you know, look like you just drank some lemon juice and we'll all be sad and we'll be blessed. That's not what Jesus is talking about. How do we know? Because the Bible tells us in Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. It tells us in this book of Psalms that happy are the people whose God is the Lord. We're supposed to give thanks in everything. We ought to always be giving praise. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. So Jesus is certainly not telling us that we need to be sad so we can be blessed. 
That's not what he's talking about. We all go through difficult times in this life. We all have times of sorrow and we can look to the Lord during those times to find comfort. Second Corinthians 1 3 tells us that he is the God of all comfort. He is there to comfort us during those times of sorrow. Whatever we might go through, he is there to comfort us. And what comfort he can give because he is not only the God of all comfort, he is the God with all power. He is the God who knows everything. I want to tell you that when you're going through a hard place in life, that your heavenly Father is able to comfort you during that time. He may not always make you comfortable, but he can comfort you through the hard places in life. In Isaiah 53, it tells us that Jesus would pay the price for our sin. It tells us that he would suffer wounds so that we could be healed. And then it gives us this great promise in Isaiah 53 and 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Griefs and sorrows? Turn it over to Jesus. He's already borne it. He's already carried it. But by faith, we have to turn those things over to him. There's no point in us carrying them anymore. See, when we're hurting, he comforts us. He lifts that burden. When Jesus began his ministry, he read from Isaiah 61, and the Gospel of Luke records it this way, that he stood up and he read from Isaiah 61, and here's what he said in Luke 4:18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. We talked about the poor in spirit last week. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. He comforts those who mourn. I want you to know that God absolutely comforts those with a broken heart. Sooner or later in this life, we all have times when our heart is broken. Maybe it's a failed relationship, a dream lost, the loss of a loved one. It could be a lot of different things. But I remember my first and, well, my first and only uh, broken heart from a relationship. I was just 17 years old. You know, they call it puppy love, but I want to tell you, when you're a puppy, puppy love can be a serious thing. I mean, you got all the strong emotions and no wisdom and know-how to deal with it. You know, first time that you've ever felt such things. And I had it really bad. I was so depressed, so lost, so broken that I would drink every chance I got. And I finally, I turned my life over to the Lord and he comforted me. He healed my broken heart. But I got to tell you this morning, it wasn't instant. No, it took some time. But day by day, he comforted me and he kept me. I remember as a 17-year-old young man, like most 17-year-old young men, I thought I was tough. But I would read my Bible laying in my bed. And when I was done, I would close it and turn off the light. And then I would just hold it as I went to sleep because it comforted me. Now, young people, 
Looking at your phone ain't going to help you go to sleep. I'm just saying. But I want you to hear me. The God of all comfort, Jesus who came to heal the brokenhearted, he is able to comfort us when we mourn. When you're going through that time, when there's a loss of a loved one, yes, he is right there with you. He promises in Psalm 34 and 18, the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. He's always close by when you pass through one of those difficult places in life. You know, Jesus came as a man. He went through everything that we go through so that we could understand that he truly can feel what we feel. Jesus knew what it was to weep and to cry. He knew what it was to mourn. And we need to know that our Savior can identify with us. He knows exactly what we're going through and he is able to comfort us when we're hurting. Just before Jesus left, he told the disciples in John six, uh, 14 and 16, and I'm going to read it from the King James Version. He says, and I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Now, instead of comforter, the new King James says helper and the NIV says counselor. But the Greek word here literally means one who is called alongside. He comes alongside of us to comfort us, to help us, to counsel us all through life. I want you to know, especially during those times when we would mourn, the Holy Spirit is our comforter. And Jesus said, he will abide with you forever. He's always going to be there to help you. The Holy Spirit inside of us speaks to us lovingly and gently. He comforts and counsels us every step of the way, whatever we're going through. Through the Holy Spirit, you see, we are comforted when we mourn. We are supposed to have joy. We pass through, as David said, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He comforts us, and then we have joy. And the Bible tells us in Romans 14, 17, that the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 tells us that the Holy Spirit produces joy in our life. Joy is part of the fruit of the Spirit. Joy. That's what we're supposed to have. We're not supposed to be a sad people. But the Bible says this very clearly. Jesus said it. Blessed are those who mourn. Mourn. There's a word that we don't really use much in our culture. I mean, have any of you used the word mourn in conversation this week? Well, you weren't reading the scripture. Anybody said mourn? It's a word we don't hardly ever use. And relatively speaking, it's actually not that common in the scripture. And especially in the New Testament, you don't find the word mourn very often. But many times when it is used, it is talking about something specifically. It's talking about mourning our sin. 
Oh, I figured y'all would all shout and get excited. Amen. Preacher's going to talk about sin. Listen, we're going to talk about mourning. And one of the things that the Bible tells us, in fact, it's the only thing that the Bible actually tells us to mourn is our sin or the sin of others or the sins of a nation. And the Bible specifically tells us to mourn those things. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Listen, all of us who are born again, we certainly ought to understand this because we come to Jesus knowing that we are sinners, knowing that within ourselves there's no way we could ever be righteous. And we come to him broken. We talked about last week, we come to him poor in spirit, bankrupt spiritually. You see, and we admit to him, we mourn our sin, and he forgives us, and he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. We're comforted when we mourn because we mourn that sin and forgiveness and cleansing. We no longer have that guilty conscience because we know that Jesus paid it all. He took it all for us. See, we, we ought to understand this, but I think sometimes we just don't really get a full understanding of it. We don't really take it as it's really intended here. We don't take it far enough. You know, last week we learned about being poor in spirit, how much we desperately need Him. This verse, it just follows a natural progression that we, that we mourn our sin. And that when we do, then we are comforted. We're, he said, blessed, blessed are those who mourn. Oh, yes. When we mourn our sin, then there's a blessing that comes. Now, listen, the attitude of the day is that sin is no big deal. I just want to remind you that sin is what brought all of this heartache and trouble and death itself into this world. And still today, see... Yes, it all began with Adam and Eve, but still today in our world, there's so much heartache and trouble and death and destruction and all kinds of mess, and it all is the result of sin. How can we, the people of God, and he calls us his holy people. You know, he said, be holy for I am holy. This is who we're supposed to be. How can we begin to think that it's just no big deal? I'm telling you that in the church today in America, we need to hear this, that we're supposed to mourn sin. We don't just shrug it off and say, oh, no big deal. You know, Jesus already took care of it. Doesn't matter. No big deal. No, yes, Jesus took care of it, but we should mourn sin. It shouldn't just be something we just kind of shrug off. Oh, it's so popular and common today that we rationalize and justify while we shout and shake our fist at the world and say how terrible they are. Got quiet all of a sudden. Well, I want you to know this is Grace Church. We preach grace. But for the grace of God, I'm telling you, none of us could be saved. And, and we absolutely believe in the grace of God that Jesus paid the price for our sin. But when we have a nonchalant attitude about sin, I want to tell you, it will bring us down spiritually and enslave us again. We can't. 
just go along with the culture of the day and act like it doesn't matter. You know, I've had the privilege and the blessing to see many who came to the Lord and they were, I guess, great sinners. They mourned and they wept and they received forgiveness and they were made new. But we should not get to the place where we as believers no longer mourn sin. It ought to bother us worse when there's sin in our life than somebody that doesn't know the Lord. It ought to really grieve us because it grieves our Father. And we need to mourn those sins. I think that one of the reasons that so many people have unrepented of sin in their life is because they don't mourn that sin. They haven't gotten to the place where they are truly sorry and mourn that sin. And so it stays. You know, when we come to church, I, I was got to tell you, I think we ought to be able to laugh about things. I mean, sometimes I joke about even serious things. I mean, it's better to laugh than to cry, right? You know, the Bible says, laughter doeth good like a medicine. And I I don't think we laugh enough. But I think um, that, yes, when we come to church, we should be encouraged and built up and hear the good news, not the bad news. We certainly don't need condemnation or to be built Uh, beat down. But church, what we do need sometimes is we need to hear the Word of God and we need the conviction of the Holy Spirit so that we will recognize and mourn sin. We don't just need a pat on the back and say, oh, you're good just like you are. No, sometimes we really need change in our life. We need to grow. We need to become who God wants us to be. Sometimes we need some godly sorrow. Sometimes we need to get on our knees or even on our face before our Father and ask for forgiveness and cleansing. James, the brother of the Lord Jesus, talks about mourning our sins in his letter that he wrote to believers in James 4, 8 through 10. Now, the very first part of this is one of my favorite promises of the Bible. But so often, we just read the promise, and we don't go on and read the rest of the passage here. And I just, we're just going to read three verses, but he says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Wow, what a great promise. And then he says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. He's saying, get the sin out of your life. And not just the things, the actions, but the things in your heart. The attitudes that are wrong. The motives that are wrong. Lament and mourn and weep. Wow. I'm just thinking... That'll preach. That's sarcasm in case you didn't know. (laughs) Lament and mourn and weep. This is the word of the Lord. The next verse after draw nigh to God and he'll draw nigh to you. Lament and mourn and weep. 
We need this in the church today. And one of the reasons that we need it so bad is because it's not ever preached and it's not ever taught. Tell me a joke and pat me on the back and I'll make it through another week. No, God wants us to be his holy people. And Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. They're going to be comforted. Comforted how? Because then repentance comes and then there's a restoration of the joy of your salvation. Then the cleansing comes from a guilty conscience that when we just shrug it off and act like it's no big deal, I want to tell you that in your conscience the guilt remains. It's important. The scripture says, lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. I want to tell you this plainly. This is the only time I find in the scripture where it tells us that we're supposed to mourn and let our laughter be turned to mourning. Why? When we need to get rid of the sin. It has to be mourned. It's not just no big deal. No. And then he tells us, humble yourselves. Preacher preaching about sin. I ain't going down front this morning. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. He'll comfort you. He'll restore you. He'll refresh you. We need to mourn our sins. Let that godly sorrow work in us repentance. Then, we be, then we'll be comforted. You know, the same word that's used in the Beatitudes for mourn and in the book of James is found several times in Paul's letter in regard to sin. And I want you to understand that we are certainly to mourn our own sin, but we should also mourn over the sins of others, especially those who are part of the body of Christ. And some of you, you have a friend, you have a loved one that you know is in sin. Let me tell you, you need to mourn that sin. You need to get before God for them and pray for them in earnest. And, and seek the Lord for His forgiveness on their life, to deal with their heart, and to bring about repentance in their life. I believe that sin in the church grieves the Lord more than even sin in our nation. You know, we like to shake our fist at the world and talk about how awful they are and how wicked the world is. But so often... The church kind of looks the other way when it comes to our sins. I mean, there are certain sins, you know, not those really, really big, bad sins like we think of in the world, but there are other sins that we just kind of allow and we just kind of look the other way and it's no big deal. And too often, I think that that is a part of why the world doesn't hear our message. Now here's an extreme example, but Paul writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 5, 1 and 2. He says, it's actually reported 
that there is sexual immorality among you and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles that a man has his father's wife and you are puffed up and have not rather mourned. Now, this is certainly an extreme case, but these people had gotten to the place where even sexual immorality was just like no big deal. And I got to tell you that there are a lot of churches across our land that think it's no big deal. You can be a member, you can be used in ministry. Hey, we don't care what you do in your life. You know that's your business. We don't care what kind of sin you're involved in. In his second letter, oh, excuse me, let me just catch the last part of that phrase there, that second verse. He says, and have not rather mourned. What do we do about it? Mourn. Just church as usual. They didn't address it in any way. In his second letter to the Corinthians, he writes about it again after they addressed the issue in 2 Corinthians 7, 9 through 11. And this is really a powerful passage. I want you to see there's some principles here that we really need to hear today. He says, now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing, for godly sorrow produces repentance. Godly sorrow produces repentance. A lot of the time, the reason we have so little repentance, real change, right? That's what repentance means. It means a change of heart, attitude, and mind. It means you're going in a different direction. A lot of the time, the reason we don't have real repentance is because there's no godly sorrow. There's no mourning for sin. You see, when we really mourn sin, it helps us to change the way we think and we change directions. We need that godly sorrow in the body of Christ today. Sorrow, godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. Whatever other verses that you might find about salvation, they also have to line up with what Paul says here. In fact, so many of the verses that people quote about salvation were written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by this same man who says that godly sorrow produces repentance that leads to salvation. I want to tell you, when that salvation comes, you've been comforted. You're free from that old guilty conscience. You got joy unspeakable and full of glory. Amen. You see, we need that, but it comes through godly sorrow that produces repentance, leading to salvation. Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. See, we're not just talking about being sad all the time. No, that's, that kind of sorrow produces death. He says, for observe this very thing that you sorrowed in a godly manner, what diligence it produced in you. What cleansing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication in all things you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. 
You see, it was their godly sorrow. It was mourning the sin that created in them this zeal, this vehement desire that they didn't want any part of it. We need that kind of mourning sin in the body of Christ today that we take a stand not just against the world but against sin in the body of Christ, against sin in our own lives. That we're willing to do whatever it takes that we might live a life that brings glory to our Savior. Verse 10, he said, Godly sorrow produces repentance. Oh, how we need that repentance in the church today that we truly see change, not just the same old thing. No, but real change. All of us need that at times. That godly sorrow is so powerful. So how do we, how do we mourn sin? We go to the Lord in prayer and we confess it. We confess our sins, but we also confess to Him the sins of our brothers and sisters. We confess the sins of our loved ones. Listen, we confess the sins of our nation. And that principle is found many, many times in the Old Testament. That yes, we go to God and we admit to God the sins of our nation. And when we do, we should not stay sad. No, we should receive comfort because mourning sin brings a blessing. But I think one of the reasons that sometimes we struggle with sins repeatedly is because we haven't truly mourned sin. In David's prayer of repentance in Psalm 51, David says, Restore to me the joy of my salvation. You see, David recognized that that joy was gone from his life. I think sometimes Christians lose their joy. Now, don't misunderstand me. I already said, all of us, sooner or later, we all all go through some heartbreaks. We all go through some, some difficult times in life like that. But sometimes Christians lose their joy just because they have not really mourned their sin. They haven't come to God with a broken and contrite spirit and confessed it to God. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. You know, when it comes to what others do, we certainly cannot control what others do. But we still need to pray for them, and we need to mourn their sin. 2 Corinthians 12, 20 and 21, Paul writes, For I fear, lest when I come, I shall not find you such as I wish, And that I shall be found by you such as you do not wish, lest there be contentions, jealousies. Uh, He's listing out sins in case you didn't catch this, but contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, backbitings, whisperings, conceits, tumults, lest when I come again, my God will humble me among you and I shall mourn for many who have sinned before and have not repented of the uncleanness, fornication, and lewdness which they have practiced. 
Paul says, I'm concerned that when I come, there's going to be all of these sins that haven't been repented of. And he says, that he himself will be humbled. And he says, and I shall mourn. You see, we need to mourn the sins of those who are unrepentant. Don't act like it's no big deal. We have something that we can do about it, that we can get before the Lord and cry out to God for his mercy and confess that sin to God and how we need to do that also for our nation. But all too often, it seems like us who are in church, we just kind of brush it off. We just kind of think it's no big deal. See, we as a church, we need to be grieved over the sin of our nation, but even more so grieved over the sin of the body of Christ. All too often, the world around us sees us as just another religion because they don't see the real life change that the Scripture talks about in the Bible. They need to see how different we are. See, we we can't act like it's normal. We can't act like it's no big deal when a brother stands out in the church foyer and tells a crude joke. Or worse yet, as some do from the pulpit today. Quiet. We can't act like it's just normal for a Christian to go to the bar on Saturday night, but he don't come to church on Sunday morning. We can't act like it's just normal, like it's no big deal when a Christian posts profanity on social media. That's sure it's quiet in here. We can't act like it's normal to lie or to gossip or to be involved in strife and backbiting. We can't act like it's just okay. No, we got to go to the Lord and mourn those sins. 2 Corinthians 7, 14, the Lord says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and heal their land. See, we can talk about Hollywood, we can talk about politicians and how terrible things are in our world, but the Lord says, if His people will humble themselves and pray, turn from their wicked ways, and seek His face, that He'll heal our land. But you find this principle all through the Scripture that if we mourn sin, then the Lord will bless us. Listen to what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit in John 16 and 8. He says, when He has come, He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness, and of judgment. Now, there's lots of wonderful things that came through the Holy Spirit. We already talked about how that He is our comforter, our helper, our counselor. But here's something that is seldom talked about, about the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit convicts of sin, and of righteousness, and of judgment, and how we need that in our world today. We need that work of the Holy Spirit in our services to change lives, to bring conviction such that we mourn our sin. Sin would... What happens when godly sorrow comes? Repentance. And then salvation. 
Oh, how we need that. Some of those old preachers of generation or two ago that preached with such fire about sin, and now we look back and we say, oh, those guys, that's just old religion. Oh, give me that old religion that changes lives, where there's conviction of the Holy Spirit, and it's not enough to just call ourselves saved and live basically like the world. No, we got to mourn sin and see real change in hearts and lives. And the Holy Spirit is the one that helps us to see what needs to change in our life. Heard this old story many years ago about a man who owned a carpet cleaning business and he hired a new guy. Guy was supposed to have a lot of experience and everything. And he hired the guy and he took him to a place to clean some carpets. And he, he told the man, he said, I'm going to run some errands and I'll be back in a little while to pick you up. And so he did just that. He came back after a little while and the guy was finished. He was putting his equipment up. And the man, the owner went in and he looked around and he found a big dirty spot. And so he called the new guy in and he said, hey, I, I want you to look at this. What do you see here? He said, dirt, that's dirty. He said, all right, I can work with you. If you can see that, I can work with you. Then the guy went on, he said, get your stuff and clean this again. And then he went out and he got in his van and he was looking over the paperwork and everything. And all of a sudden the Holy Spirit said, remember how you talked to your wife this morning? He said, what is that? He said, that's sin. The Holy Spirit said, I can work with you. I want to tell you, there's a lot of people that are so unfamiliar with the conviction of the Holy Spirit that they just brush it off. They just shrug it off. When the Holy Spirit brings something to your mind, to your heart, and you know that it doesn't line up with the Word of God, whether it is something you did, the words you said, or the attitude of your heart even, and you just shrug it off, your heart becomes hard. Your conscience becomes seared. And you no longer, you get to the place where you no longer can even see it for what it is. Oh, we need to ask the Holy Spirit to show us what needs to change in us. That we would mourn our sin and get free. See, the Lord wants us to be free. He wants us to have great joy. He wants to absolutely comfort us. Now, but it comes when we're willing to do what he said and to mourn. Mourn sin. The Holy Spirit He convicts of sin. The Holy Spirit, He's grieved by our sin. Ephesians 4, 30 and 31, it says, Don't be, or it says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. He lists out some, and these specifically had to do with relationships. But he says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. I want to tell you, there's a lot of other things that grieve the Holy Spirit. But when we mourn sin, that same Holy Spirit is the one who then comforts us. 
We don't want to grieve him. Grieves the Holy Spirit. It grieves the Lord. David in Psalm 32, listen to what he says about his sin. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. When I kept silent, when I didn't confess my sin, he says, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. You see, when we don't confess our sin, when we don't admit to God, We're going to find ourselves in a dry place spiritually. No, it's not because they didn't sing your favorite song at church today. So often we find ourselves in a dry place spiritually because we have not allowed the Holy Spirit to deal with our heart. We've just shrugged it off rather than mourning our sin, confessing it to Him and mourning our sin. He goes on, he says, I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. You see, if we humble ourselves, we mourn our sin, the sins of our family, the sins of our nation, oh, then God will bless us. He will comfort us. He does not leave us in our sorrow and mourning, but He comforts, He restores our joy. He turns our sorrow into joy. Amen. Sometimes we got mourning, but He'll give us that garment of praise. He'll turn it. See, He'll comfort us. Times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord. That's what Acts 3.19 says. But did you know that he said, repent, and then times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord. Oh, church, we need to get this this morning. It's important that we have that godly sorrow, that we have that mourning that brings about true repentance, and that repentance brings such life change in us. I want you to stand to your feet with me and like for our prayer partners to come.